This episode is brought to you by Visit Williamsburg. In Williamsburg, Virginia, there's never too much of a good thing. Whether you're a foodie, a golfer, a history buff, a shopaholic, an outdoor enthusiast, or a thrill seeker, you'll find what you came for here and more. So ask yourself, what is it you want? Discover Williamsburg and plan your trip at visitwilliamsburg.com. Another day is here and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Whether you're selling a little or a lot... Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. From the launch your online shop stage, all the way to the we just hit a million orders stage. No matter what stage you're in, Shopify's there to help you grow. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash special offer, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash special offer. Welcome to Performance Anxiety. This week we welcome David Schramm of The Shrams. We talk about the new album, Omnidirectional. He tells us what happens when your bass gets stolen. He works with Yola Tango. Enjoy this week's episode of Performance Anxiety with David Schramm. Follow them on Instagram and Twitter. Follow us on both of those mediums at Performance ANX. Buy things at performanceanx.threadless.com. And remember to subscribe, rate, and review. Enjoy David Schram of The Shrams. Hi, this is Dave Schram. You're listening to Performance Anxiety uh, with Mark Shea and, and I guess me tonight. So there you go. All right, well, it's nice to meet you. Nice to meet you, too. Oh, thank yeah. you. Uh, let's see. You are... I, I, I was doing research on you, and I found that there are quite a few David Shrams out there. Yeah, there are. There's some, some ones that I'd like to, uh, <laughs> you know, maybe talk to, but uh, maybe some, um, never, never mind. Never. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so you're not a you know, football coach. You're not a deceased astrophysicist, a luthier. No, or, no. And, you know. I'm not, an, not an actor on wings either. Exactly. You yeah. didn't play Roy Biggins. Yeah. yeah. So that's. Got to set the expectations for the listeners. So you're the guitarist, yeah. David Schramm. If I had to choose, I might be the astrophysicist. That's pretty cool. <laughs> he's, to, he's dead now, I think. Yeah, but that's true. Maybe that's not a that's a, not a good selling point there. No. <laughs> so you're let's see, you're uh, you're from Long Island originally. That's true. And is that where you grew up and and you started getting into music? Yeah, I grew up in Levittown, Long Island. Little houses of ticky tacky, you know. Okay. Oh yeah, and uh, total suburbia. Um, my musical, um, my musical youth was misspent listening to, um, well, the standard stuff, but also uh, uh, Frank Zappa and the Mother's Invention and Captain Beefheart and his Magic Band and things of that ilk. And um, I guess I kind of thought myself. What's the word? More creative than the the Tull Band and the Birds Band, and you know, okay. we had Battle of the Bands around around the the suburban suburban developments there, and they would reel out the bandmobile to the local park, yeah, and they would have a band that played Aqualong, and then the next band would come on, they'd do all Birds covers, and then there would be a band that did the Zep covers. Oh yeah, yeah. And we got up there once, maybe twice. Um, uh, and made no impression because we played all our own songs. Oh. <laughs> and we had a cellist in the band. So, Oh, wow. Yeah, so it was a little different for us. We didn't get much in the way of... Uh, <laughs> it was none it, of that. Because so. everyone wanted to hear the Skinner and the Zap and, and all Okay. Yeah, exactly, yeah. But now I did read that while you're in high school that you did write a symphonic piece that was... Uh, performed oh, by the local geez. orchestra. Where'd you dredge that up? Yeah. Um, I do my research, man. 
Oh man, yeah. Uh, no, in college <laughs> I wrote something. Uh, yeah, in college I wrote something that was played by a local community orchestra. That's pretty yeah. crazy. I, I, how hard is it to write a symphonic piece? I've never even thought about something it like that. It was short. It was <laughs> only about five minutes long, so that was easier. Right? It wasn't Beethoven. It wasn't, okay. yeah. <laughs> and so. You're out in in Long Island, so you're 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 in relative proximity to to New York City, and also, yeah. Uh, when you get to the age where you're going out and seeing bands, what what kind of what kind of music are you going out to see? Uh, well, wow, this is a good setup because I can tell you my first concert, um, yes. uh, Town Hall, 1973. Okay. Uh, uh, the Clearest Part tour of Captain Beefheart. Oh wow. So that was a pretty amazing show. Um, the strange thing about the show, show was that the uh, support acts were, um, well, first a, a Lee Michaels copy band, guy on, guy on uh, drums and a guy on organ. Oh, wow. Uh, and then Larry Coryell. Really? And then Captain Beefheart. So that was really strange. But once we got to the captain, everything was okay. Yeah. He came out in this <laughs> pink satin cape. <laughs> Uh, chugging a bottle of Jack Daniels and uh, <laughs> the rest is history. Well, that almost makes sense for a, a Beefheart show, though. Oh, almost. totally. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> this, this is something completely different, yeah. So what what uh, musical instruments did you start with? Did you start off on guitar, or was it, was it something that you grew into? Earliest, I, I played clarinet. Oh, know? wow. My grandfather, on my, my mother's father, was a... Uh, had a polka band and had some records on OK and Columbia. Oh, cool. 78s, though. 78s. Oh, um, uh, Dmitry Potocic. And uh, he played clarinet and had a little band. Wow. Um, I've looked for the 78s. I can't find them. But, oh, jeez. Uh, someday. Someday. Uh, uh, go ahead. Oh, I was just saying, mate, you, you got to keep looking in the antique stores. Absolutely. Yeah. Always. Yeah. <laughs> All right, so uh, so I picked up the clarinet, played that for a few years, um, and uh, I guess around I don't know, was it eleven or twelve? I started playing guitar. Okay. My my eldest sister's surfer boyfriend uh, left his uh, left his K acoustic, blonde K acoustic guitar at the house, oh. and uh, so I picked it up and started playing. I think I started. First thing I learned was Norwegian wood. Oh, really? It just come out. Oh, wow. Yeah, that's that's a man. That's a great song. I, you know, it's funny. I, I picked up a guitar, tried to teach myself how to play, and that's about as far as I ever got. So that's I like making a lot of noise on it, but I, that's that's cool. So, yeah. So all right. So I got a question for you since I just noticed. What are you drinking right now? Because I'm a I love. Oh, I'm sorry. Beer. Um, I'm drinking. Um, it's a collaboration between um, Saison Dupont, one of my favorite beers out of Belgium, Farmhouse Ale. Okay. And uh, Allagash, which is a, a, a brewery in Maine. Oh, yeah. I'm it, familiar with Allagash, yeah. They did a collaboration called Brewer's Bridge, which is a, uh, a farmhouse ale, which I quite like. Oh, nice, nice. I'm just going simple. I've got a little tea with some vodka in it. Oh, there you go. So, all right. So now back to the show. At what point did you start playing with bands, playing, you know, starting your first bands and, and, and playing with other people? Um, well, let's see. Um, maybe I was 14. Maybe I was 14 or so. And um, we had a band. Oh, God, I got to I have to say the name of the band. <laughs> uh, um, we, it, we, we had this name. We didn't know about Cash McCall, but we called ourselves Citizens Band. Okay. <laughs> yeah, but we didn't know about Cash for Paul. So, yeah, uh, we were a citizens band when I was in high school and in college, actually. Um, uh, all original music. Um, kind of after a while, we started playing. But it was kind of more stonesy at the beginning, uh, I guess. Um, uh, we had a female vocalist and a cellist and... Um, is this the is this the band that was playing out with the yeah. band are playing? Okay. Yeah. Well, they were, were also playing Zeppelin. Yeah. Playing <laughs> originals uh, with rock cello. Yeah, <laughs> rock opera. <laughs> so at what point did you decide that, you know, th this is what I want to do? 
Um, I don't think I ever decided that. I just did it. You know, I don't okay. know that you. That's one of those things you don't. You know, you, you, it's who you are. You know, just do it. You know, you don't decide. I've always had other. You know, real jobs. You know. Yeah. Uh, yeah me never, too. Unfortunately, I know that. Get out from under that. So, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. That's cool though. At what point did you uh, move to a human switchboard? That's that's what I was looking for. Well. In order to, this is, I don't know how to characterize this, but I went out from Long Island to graduate high school and went out to Ohio um, to a college called Wilmington College. And um, that's a Quaker school. Okay. It suited my sensibilities because it was rather uh, very liberal arts, um, kind of let you sort of figure out your own way. and. Okay. Uh, also, a friend of mine from high school went out there the year before me, who was the cellist in the band, by the way. Yeah. Oh, okay. <laughs> so he went out there, and it was, yeah, it was kind of hippie-ish kind of thing, I guess. But uh, we went, kept the band together, man, you know. Oh, and, man. Uh, <laughs> they <laughs> played, out, played out there, and eventually that cycle completed itself, and I ended up living in Columbus, Ohio. Where I met uh, Ron Metz and Bob Pfeiffer and Martin Markarian, and they were uh, once again without a bass player. Okay. Yeah, as you know, <laughs> went through a few. Uh, eventually, I don't know how it happened. After a few years, I ended up in Kent, Ohio, living with the band and playing. Yeah, yeah, that's how that happened. <laughs> All right, and they recorded. Now, what I was reading, trying to. Figure this out now. They had Human Switchboard has one album. Were you did you play on that, or were you did you play after that? I played after that. After Who's Landing in My Hangar? Yeah. Okay. Uh, I played. Uh, there is an LP that I'm on, which is a bootleg. Oh. Um, um, I'm not sure how many were made, but there's a bootleg out there with some live stuff on it that I played on. And then there's some stuff I played on later with on guitar um, that came out on Bar None Records a few years back, which was a sort of a, a, comp, a compilation of a lot of unreleased tracks and stuff like that. Oh, okay. That was pretty cool. That uh, yeah, I played some guitar on that. Um, but I was a, I was the bass player, um, and uh, we went to um, played Haraz. I think we opened it up for. Who was it? Who did we open up for? Um, oh God! <laughs> I'm putting uh, you on the spot here. I'm sorry. No, no, you, no. I'm, I'm the one that's trying to remember the name of the band. Uh, uh, could it have been the only ones? Maybe it was the only ones. I don't remember. If I remember later, I'll tell you. But yeah, yeah. We played hurrah. Um, I didn't play the Peppermint Lounge gigs that they started doing because I, I actually quit at that point. Ah, uh, okay. I quit, so they fired me. But <laughs> <laughs> well, that's another story. I won't tell that story. That's, oh, you're going to tell me that story? They just re-released Who's Landed in My Hangar, so I, I won't make any... You know, <laughs> so how did you move from uh, Human Switchboard to Yola Tango? Well, I landed in New York um, after the Human Switchboard thing, moved back and um, stayed with my sister for a while on Long Island. Okay. And then I moved into the city. Uh, lived on, where was it? Uh, was it 10th Street, 9th Street, between 2nd and 3rd? Something like that. Kind of near the 2nd Avenue Deli there. Okay. I hope you know the geography there. I'm a little bit fair. I lived in New Jersey and had some friends in Long Island, so, which okay. kind of surprises me because I don't hear the Long Island accent from you. Well, I lived in New York, in in um, in Ohio for a good seven, eight years. So they I, kind of weaned it up, weaned it out of you. Yeah, and then since then, I've I've been only in Manhattan and New Jersey. So okay. So this is about 1980 or so, I guess 79 or 80 that I'm in New York and Manhattan, and uh, I'm renting an apartment, sharing an apartment with this 
I worked at a place called Record City in on Broadway and Waverly Place, legendary record store. Oh, okay, yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, and after that went bankrupt. Um, and the crazy Ashra I was living with uh, got so crazy I had to move out. Uh oh. Uh, like how crazy? Place in Hoboken. Like how crazy we talking? Oh, he would go away for two, three weeks at a time, and then show up at three in the morning screaming. <laughs> uh, and yeah, it was just, yeah, never mind. Wow. <laughs> That's okay. That's pretty crazy. I had to leave. I had to leave. Okay. So. <laughs> I'm getting that feeling already just for that little bit. Yeah, yeah. Um, so, yeah, moved into, into Hoboken, found a place in Hoboken when it was dirt cheap. Yeah, that's, that's been a while now. Oh, yeah. Uh, and so just fell in with the crowd, you know, it was the individuals and the and – Ira and Georgia, and when they were Georgia and those guys. Okay. Uh, you know, and uh, the whole crowd of people we played softball every Sunday. Oh, um, nice. came to be known as Dioxin Field. Uh, <laughs> who knows what went on nearby? It was near the power plant. Oh, there you go. <laughs> and, uh, yeah, and, you know, people started playing, you know, with each other, and, you know, Maxwell's was the focus of the scene and oh, I used to love Maxwell's yeah rest in peace yeah so I played uh, then again John Clagis uh, who was from the individuals okay and uh, Georgia played the drums and Iro played guitar and I played bass and John played guitar um and um that went its course but then that's when Iro and Georgia started putting together a band uh, and asked me to play along, and I did. (laughs) All good. Yeah, and and so that was uh, Ride the Tiger, which came out in 86. Right. Yeah. I, and then, did you guys? Now, did you you left after that album? Did you? But did you? Were you around for touring with that to support the album? Yeah. Yeah. The record came out in the spring, I guess. Um, and we went and toured in the summer. It seemed like we were playing college towns in the summer, which I guess didn't that it didn't make much that, sense anyway. <laughs> that's <laughs> one way to go. Yeah, that's a, uh, no, it was okay, uh, but that was cool. Uh, <laughs> it was fun recording that. We recorded it with Clint Conley up in in uh, in Boston. Yeah, that was fun. And then I just felt like I wanted to play more of my own songs and put together my own outfit. So I kind of parted ways after that record. So the, and and that was all amicable, right? You you just. Oh yeah, it yeah. was. It, there wasn't. There was no part. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> no, no. We're, we're obviously we're still good friends. So. Uh. All right, and so you put together a band um, originally called Walking Wounded, right? That's correct. Yeah. Unfortunately, yeah. that was taken. I think. It was taken, so we had to come up with a name that for a gig we had at CBGB's. So somebody jokingly said, "Oh, call it the Shrams," and so yeah, it stuck. Yeah. <laughs> now, so you did you did your first gig as the Shrams. How did you? How did? Why did you decide to keep? You said it. You said it stuck. How did you guys just set out? You know what? Was that one of those things where you just like, ah, you know what? It works. Or did you fight it, it? Yeah, it was basically. It was kind of. Um, I guess Chris Damey had a had had a, uh, a take on that. He said, "Well, it's so uh, beautifully." Uh, um, well, not, he didn't say plain vanilla, but beautifully <laughs> evocative or something. It's just like you can make anything out of it. I don't. It's, Walking Wounded was kind of a downer name, you know, kind of. Yeah, I could see um, that. Yeah, the Shrams has no. Yeah, you have no preconceived notions with the Shrams. Yeah, no, you don't have any idea what's going to go, what you're getting into. Exactly. <laughs> After that, you decided to. You actually started recording your first album. Yeah, yeah. And is it is it true that everybody after during re, was it recording that first album that some of the band ended up leaving? 
Well, yeah, it was, you know, it was, uh, Todd Novak played guitar with us, and uh, Pete Linzel was playing sax. Mike Lewis, who was the bass player from the original uh, Yola Tango uh, Ride the Tiger lineup. Okay. Mike Lewis was the bass player. Um, but, you know, people were being pulled different ways. You know, Mike yeah. was about to move to Boston and work for some pharmaceutical company or something. I'm not really sure. So he, he left halfway through the songs okay. uh, being recorded. And uh, I think Todd and Pete wanted to start a uh, sort of a surf band. Okay. Uh, which is fine. You know, it all worked out. Um, we got uh, Al Greller from the Tall on Some Pines and Peter Stample. He was playing with Peter Stample in the bottle caps. Um and uh, I think it worked out pretty well. And I read I read a story, and you can tell me if this is true or not, because I read it in two different places, but it is the Internet, so you, you, know, you don't know how much of it's actually true. Uh, Terry, the fir- uh, and I don't know how to pronounce her last name. Is it Caritas? Caritas. Caritas, that, Caritas yeah. Uh, all right, so she initially played bass until her bass was stolen, and then just— It's true. It's true. Oh, my <laughs> God. She had a beautiful old Dan Electro bass. Uh, oh, no. It's really gorgeous, uh, you know, very simple but beautiful. And uh, someone popped the, the trunk on the car and stole it. And um, uh, and she, I guess, decided instead of um, – I'm not sure how she switched to keyboards, but she had an interest in keyboards. So she started learning how to play, and Al stepped in to play bass, and I guess there you go. She had been playing bass with um, an early iteration of Yellow Tango, Georgia and those guys. She was the bass player. so Okay, okay. It's all kind of circles of... <laughs> circles of amical departures and, and reconnections. Yeah, exactly, yeah. Now, all right, so that that's a horrible thing to have happen. Is that the worst... Yeah. Is, is that one of the worst things that's happened to you on tour? So you, somebody's instrument gets stolen? Uh, it's, just, it's just a... It's just a guitar, I guess, but you know, there's other things that have happened that uh, that aren't, uh, you know, I've, I've, nah, nah, it's okay. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Never mind. <laughs> you, you can feel free to share some of these stories. You might, might feel good to get them off your chest. Well, no, um, <laughs> no, that's pretty bad. Yeah, losing an instrument. Yeah. Okay. All right. So, Walk to Delphi came out in '89. But he, he was on Rough Trade, which just a couple of weeks after got released, they kind of went out of business, right? Yeah, yeah. It was it was Okra, um, a kind of a subsidiary of Rough Trade. It was basically Rough Trade with a little imprint called Okra. Okay, okay. Um, and uh, yeah, they went out of business right after we uh, um, released the record. Luckily, there was a a company in in Germany called Normal that was very interested in uh, uh, putting the record out. So they picked it up, and that started us touring in uh, Europe. And you had a – that created you a big, pretty big following out in Germany because yeah. you, you've also done some solo stuff that's done really yeah. well in Germany too, right? Mm-hmm. I've done – yeah, I did uh, two solo records over there and uh, a solo tour, sort of a half solo tour with Jebloy Nichols, another artist on the Return to Sender normal um he had actually had a, a band called the fellow travelers okay which was kind of a reggae band oh was, wow reggae meets country actually so it was pretty awesome yeah. oh that's pretty cool and he sings kind of like randy travis so you can uh oh my god i'm gonna have is, is there stuff on youtube or someplace where i can find that probably so probably so yeah that's that's yeah. that's a mix i never would have thought of yeah country reggae <laughs> we actually did a record together with other okra had some country artists so we did a record called the okra all-stars okay where we did uh it was myself it was we actually called it like the hundred dollar quartet or something like that it was uh uh me uh, myself jam Boy nichols 
uh, Hank McCoy and Jeruki Barnes. Oh. Uh, some, you know. Uh, and so we did a tour of Germany with the record. We did a version of uh, Purple Rain, country style. Really? Really good. Yeah. Oh, that is awesome. Was that hard to do? I mean, first of all, surprisingly we, easy. Really? It just <laughs> fell together. It was so obvious <laughs> obvious what to do and where, yeah. Now, when you do something like that, I, you cover prints, is it something you record first and then ask permission to do later, or do you do it the you other way around? You don't have to ask permission. You, know, you can cover someone's song without asking them, you know. Okay. You, you can, yeah, yeah, you're, you know. They might not like it. Yeah. <laughs> uh, That's a good point. As long as you give them credit, they're usually pretty happy to hear about it. Yeah. Okay. That's yeah. now that that is one thing I'm going to have to try to find because I didn't I didn't find that anywhere. Oh, okay. I, I get, maybe I can get my hands on a copy and send it to you. Maybe. That would be amazing. All right, so so the, the the first album comes out, uh, and you also end up doing one of your songs that you all that you did previously with Yola Tango. So, uh, right. Um, the way some people die. The way some people die. Um, yeah, it was on the first. It was on Ride the Tiger. There's also a second song we did. We did a song on the Ride the Tiger called, I think we called it Nine Years, or I'm not sure which was which. One was called Nine Years, and the, the second version was called Five Years, or vice versa. I okay. did it on the second one. Ah, but, okay, okay. And, and I don't know why I did that. But. <laughs> All right, so this is like the 89-90 time frame. Right, right. All right, and then, so then you came out with uh, Little Apocalypse and, and Dizzy Spell, and... Then went back to Yola Tango. Oh, right. Is that, is well, that the way for, it goes? For Facebook. Yeah, Facebook. Uh, it was about 19... Actually, Facebook was right after Walk to Delphi, I think. It was 1990, I think. Oh, okay. Oh, if yeah. I'm not mistaken. Yes, you're right. I'm, I'm looking at my notes. My notes are all scrambled today. I don't know what's going on. It's okay. Luckily, my brain is not at this moment. So. <laughs> maybe after a few more beers, and then maybe my notes will make sense. Hey, working on that. Yeah. I, I, I need to have a little more drink because then maybe my notes will make sense to both of us. There you go. So okay, so 1990, and you guys work on Fake Book, which turns out to be a great name. You know, a decade later. I, yeah, it? wonderful. Yeah. <laughs> it almost. Trying, when we, sorry, go ahead. I was going to say it, it's almost a commentary on on technology that hadn't existed at that time. Yes. Yes. So and I, and I got to tell you, uh, Barnaby hardly working is one of my favorite songs I've heard from you. I, I absolutely love cool, the guitar yeah, work on that. I think my, my favorite stuff on that record not that there's anything bad on there, I don't think, but uh, are their originals, not the covers. And it's a record of covers, but it has a few originals. Yeah. And I love uh, The Summer and Barnaby Hardly Working and um, uh, their original songs there. So. And I wanted to ask you about that because it seems like that's the same. Uh, you, you guys went back to that formula for the 2015 Yola Tango album that you're on, mm -hmm. stuff like that there. Yes, yeah, Son of Facebook. Yeah. Right. Is it now? Is that is that the way you guys plan to do the album? Is to do uh, some covers interspersed with some originals, or is it like you're warming up and hey, that sounds good? Or is there or is there a plan no, going I think, in? I think for for both records, there was a plan to to play songs that they loved, right? Okay. And and then intersperse it with a few originals, like just like on stuff like that. There, they've done this. It's basically the same methodology um uh and i think they do to great effect yeah i think it's i think that their song choices on both records are pretty phenomenal yeah oh they're they're fantastic yeah. i mean and because you guys you do um 
covers of Cat Stevens, Gene Clark, Flaming Groovies, John Cale, The Cure, Hank Williams. I mean, it's, mm-hmm. it's a really you guys cut a really wide swath with your with the covers. Yep. There's so many different genres in there, and and they all flow. Sun Ra. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> but they all they all work together with the sound that you guys are creating with them. So it's yeah, yeah. I mean, stuff like that. There, the um, uh, what is the opening track? Why am I blanking on that? Um, um, is it is it? Oh, um, um, <laughs> sorry, I'm blanking too. <laughs> it's beautiful. It's uh, oh crap, I have to look it up while we're talking here. Anyway, the the first. Uh, three or four tracks on that just and they're so beautiful it's just yeah. the, the guitar work and the vocals it's just everything meshes so perfectly and what I'll, I'll, I'll go ahead and I'll just throw the audio clip in there at that time and everybody can hear what it sounds like okay my heart's not in it my heart still belongs to you So how does it happen that you got you, you come back to Yola Tango? Do they contact you or do you contact them and they just want a certain sound? Or? Yeah, we stay in touch. I've done a lot of the uh, Hanukkah shows and um, the odd uh, trip to Berlin for a, uh, a retrospective radio sh- uh, a record. Sorry, a retrospective record label show. Okay. That's really good. Um, uh, and then, you know, they just asked me whether I was interested in um, not only recording the record, but would be available to do the tour afterwards. And, you know, how can you say no? Yeah, exactly. exactly. Yeah, yeah. The one thing that I've, I've, that I've noticed listening to Yola Tango with you and, and without you is that with you, it, it seems to be a little more controlled with you in, in the band. There's, there's, the songs aren't as like frenetic and, and, well, I think Angular. it's because uh, lately, last, um, you know, the last recordings and stuff like this, we, it's mostly the sort of the stripped down acoustic uh, version, okay. uh, which is a, a one beautiful side of them. Um, uh, don't make a mistake. I love getting loud and noisy with uh, the best of them. So uh, <laughs> at some of the Hanukkah shows, we've done that together. And that's, that's great fun, too. Yeah, so. Well, that's one of the things I liked about the music and, and on the new album, um, Omnidirectional, it's, you get these beautiful lines, these beautiful songs, and they're, they, some of them are incredibly soft and delicate, but there's also this feedback coming in or this fuzzed out guitar somewhere that, that comes in out of nowhere, and it's, that, that is my favorite thing to hear. I absolutely Oh, love. cool. Either, nice, thank you. When when it comes like that, or it's the other way around, when there's something really fuzzed and crazy coming out, I and mean, there's like this delicate piano line going through it too. It's the 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 dichotomy of it. I I love it, and and you've mastered that as spe- oh. specifically on the new album. It's I, I've been listening to it constantly for days now. Oh, awesome! So, Thanks, You're great. Awesome. Yeah. In fact, I will tell you right now. Um, the New England is one of my favorite tracks, um, and then. Cool. What's uh, 2 a.m. slant? Uh, I love that song. That, that kind of I get a, like a Leo Kotke uh, John Fahey kind of feel with the guitar playing and, then, and it, I, I love it because okay. it's just a beautiful instrumental and it's it's so I, I, what it makes me want it makes me want to cut the top off of my sedan and just drive around in the nice <laughs> somewhat warm summer night it's just it, that's the kind of music that that this album has, and it just kind of makes me want to drive around with no top, with no top on my car. I'll keep my top on. Nice. All right. Nice. Nice image. I like it. Yeah, yes. Nobody wants to see me with no top on. 
So yeah, <laughs> but you also you've also done some interesting session work. Is that yeah. something that is that something that you try to space out in between, or is it just are you picky about it? Um, yes, yeah, so, you know you don't want to play horrible music with horrible people, so you know, <laughs> that's you, true. I've been lucky to have been asked to play with some um, some people I love and people the music I love. I've got some sort Ooh, of like fire sirens, yeah. Yeah, there's a fire truck. Hoboken is burning. Yeah. Um, <laughs> we'll give it a minute. Give it a second, yeah. All right. <laughs> no, they're not gone. They're still here. Hope it's not my house. Let me see. <laughs> yeah, give me to take a look. <laughs> no, he's gone. He's going. All right. <laughs> I wish I could say that's a first, but you'd be amazed at how many interviews yeah. I do with people and there's sirens going all over the place. Fortunately, yeah, no one's so house I, has burned down yet. Yeah. No, luckily. <laughs> um, ha- happy to have been played with like Freddie Johnston to have played with Freddie Johnston um, uh, getting to play on the uh, the All Shook Down sessions was pretty pretty great uh, with Paul Westerberg the replacements oh right yeah and then Soul Asylum um, Richard Buckner that was awesome that's where I first met you know got in, t- got in touch with JD J.D. Foster. Oh, okay. Who produced this record, Omnidirectional, and the previous one, 100 Questions. So that's where the hookup with J.D. happened. Yeah. Oh, okay, okay. Um, and Richard Bob. All right, so let me ask you a couple questions about the new album. There's a 10-year gap between this album and your previous album. Why so long? Were you, were you busy, or you just didn't feel like writing anything, or is there some other reason? It's a couple of things. I mean, I can't say that it's some of it's not laziness, you know, <laughs> uh, being a, a new father, um, uh, a lot of other things. Uh, it's a lot of different things. It's it's a lot of fires I, going on. Here's part two. <laughs> All right. Um, part of it is um, having a different having my relationship to the whole music industry change in okay. a way um, things had changed to the point where um, I was out of that cycle of record a record, put out the record tour, tour a little more, come back, write music, record a record, put out the record tour that cycle wasn't really happening anymore. Um, uh, partly because the music industry had changed somewhat and, uh, it was harder to do that in a way. Um, and, uh, we had had always a certain amount of success in Germany, Austria, Switzerland, Europe, uh, and some in America, but you know, never enough to sustain, uh, an independent a career independent of other parts of life, you know, a, right. a, a day job and all that kind of stuff. Right. 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 So maybe that's a factor. Plus I started doing also this thing called radio free song club. Oh, what's um, that? Uh, it's a podcast that we started around 2009 and, um, it was basically a club of songwriters. Um, Kate Jacobs' idea. She's a uh, singer-songwriter I've done a lot of work with, played a lot on, on her records. Um, and um, we started this podcast where it basically it was a pretend radio show, basically. Okay. As most podcasts kind of are. Yeah. Uh, yep. Yeah. <laughs> um, but I know that one. The premise was every month, it started out every month, um, we would have uh, – a group of songwriters submit a new song okay. to be played on the show. Uh, and it was myself and Kate Jacobs. Nicholas Hill signed on as the, uh, uh, the show host. Okay. He's a, um, uh, a DJ who was on WFMU and a lot of other places like that. Um, awesome fellow. Um, and uh, so the original club 
of um, uh, songwriters was myself, Kate Jacobs, Freddie Johnston, Victoria Williams, Robin Holcomb, Peter Holzapple, Peter Blegved, Jody Harris. Hope I don't forget anybody. Uh, Laura Cantrell. Um, who else? Um, uh, and eventually we uh, added Don Piper, Amy Allison, Hal Gelb. Wow. Uh, Reckless Eric and Amy Rigby. Oh, cool. Um, and I'm forgetting someone, and it's horrible that I'm forgetting someone. Uh, uh, anyway, so. They probably won't hear this show. Yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> exactly. Nobody listens to podcasts, especially this one. Uh, so, yeah, um, they would each bring a, a new song every month. And we would put it to like a radio station, a radio show format. Wow. Uh, it's fascinating to hear what people were working on. Uh, you got some heavy hitters in there, too. Some great people, some wonderful people. And we would, um, although it became less and less every month, it started becoming two months, three months, because it was getting hard to get it all together every single month. Yeah, I know that feeling. But it sort of developed into a, a house band that would have guests on the show and we would learn the songs that afternoon and play them live on the show that, that night. Oh, wow. So much fun. It was all kind of like being in the, uh, the wrecking crew or something. Right. Yeah. My, it was, uh, myself, mostly David Mansfield, you know, from, um, uh, great mandolin, violin player. He was in the Rolling Thunder review with Bob Dylan and the gang oh, there. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. I know uh, you're talking JD about. Foster, um, Jeremy Chasky, wow. Paul Michelle, Conrad Meisner, um, Rob Berger, all sorts of great people played in, the, in this wow. this all star band. We we put together every every couple of months. So that's kind of on hiatus right now. But that took a lot of time. It took a lot of that's by way of explain, explaining what else I was doing. <laughs> so yeah. Okay. Well, that makes sense. Link. There's some great 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 stuff there. We yeah. had some great guests. Yeah, yeah. Because uh, I would I'd love to hear some of that. And if if as long as you don't mind me reposting some of that like in you know sending links out and in tweets not at all no no I would, all we did all for free for love that's fantastic yeah I'll, with with half those people involved i would love to hear what's going on with that or what was going on with that yeah all right so so, so that explains the 10 year your gap here um do you go in with songs already composed or are you going in with just ideas uh, we had. I actually did demos for m- most every song on the record. Okay. Um, at home, uh, way back in 2005, I think. Just 2004 to some of the songs are from 2000. You know, one of the songs, the first song on the record, was a song I played with uh, Yola Tango on the Rock the Vote tour in 2004. Oh wow! Yeah, so that we played that on that tour. So. That's kind of why James McNew is is singing on that song. He's okay, he's okay. Singing the part that he wrote for the for when we were on tour in two thousand four. So that's an old one. There. So that's yeah. honestly now, right? Honestly now, yeah. That oh, I, that's a great song. I absolutely love it. Cool. it it's the uh, the the horn opening and then the the beautifully strummed acoustic, and then the feedback hits you and I, and oh, that's like I said before. That's the noise. I love that sound. I love that. Cool. That effect, it, it, it just it, it hits me somewhere in particular that I absolutely am not going to show anybody. <laughs> but, all right, so I've, I do have a question about some, some of the instruments that you use, some of the equipment that you guys use. Still Standing Still has this beautiful is – is that a dulcimer in it? It's a marxophone, um, oh, and it's played by Andy Burton. And it, um, one of the reasons we did – one of the reasons we did the record – um, at Andy Taub's studio in Brooklyn, uh, Brooklyn Recording, um, is because of his amazing collection of instruments, amps, guitars, and stuff. He's also an amazing engineer and a great guy and has amazing ears, but okay. he also has some great stuff in the studio. So he had that along with many other things. He had a mark, so he had that microphone. Well, he had two of them actually. Um, and I think that's the, that's, that's the instrument that's on Death of a Clown, I think. 
Oh wow! Okay. Yeah, if you think of that song, yeah. Okay. Oh man. Right. I never, I never heard of a marxophone before. That, it's got a beautiful sound to it. It has these keys that hit the, the the multiple strings for each note, but the string the the key moves a uh, a metal hammer which is on sort of a spring steel shaft which can um I'm, I'm giving you a visual like a bounce visual aid there like that yeah. so that's what happens, but your listeners can't see which is that. good for podcasts. Yeah, good for podcast. <laughs> so it gets kind of bounces along and, and yeah, it kind of bounces on the string. Gives it like a, like almost like a hammer dulcimer kind of sound. Exactly. Yeah, yeah. That's I I love it. And, and um, the day when the the intro is fantastic. And I'm trying to is it is it are they called vibes? It sounds like a xylophone kind Dude, of yeah vibraphone. Vibraphone. Yeah. That's what a vibraphone. I yeah. Never. I I never remember that. I've heard that on. Few several albums, and I've asked people, and they tell me, and I for some reason that escapes me every time, and I just call it Lionel Hampton vibes. <laughs> yeah, Lionel Hampton was the uh, man who made that famous thing. You're uh, do you use any like vintage equipment yourself? Any guitar because you've got a, a great clean tone and and a, a perfect fuzz tone. It's it's fantastic, and it sounds like you're using vintage equipment. Is is that the case? Yeah. Uh, a lot of it is – I don't think I even played any of my own instruments oh, on wow. the record. Andy had so much there. I kind of just went into his, his – the room with all the stuff and just grabbed something that looked appropriate. Um, <laughs> most of it is – yeah, I mean there's a lot of it's um, vintage or boutique stuff. Uh, there's a lot of – I mean on um, honestly now – all that feedback is generated by uh, actually the first time I ever played through a Marshall stack. Oh, really? And I, actually, I was in the ISO booth with the Marshalls uh, with earplugs in, uh, <laughs> getting those sounds uh, out of a big hollow body Gibson and the Marshall stack, kind of like uh, just massive SPLs. Oh, you know, man. Crazy. And you can, you but yeah, and then there's, there's like on on Horse and Diamonds, I'm playing a, an old '30s Rickenbacker lap steel through a, a, a Gibson Lancer amp. You know, you can get totally geeked out if you want, but you know, it's, <laughs> it's, I I will I will get totally geeked out on that stuff because I, I love old equipment. I, mean, I like new equipment too, but I guess just I'll get geeked out on equipment it doesn't really matter. And it's it's funny because I don't really play anything. I don't have any of it, but I just I love. The sounds it makes, it's just... Yeah, so I will confess, I will confess, there's a moment on one of the songs, on Faith is a Dusty Word, where you hear a Mellotron flute sound. Mm-hmm. And we originally started recording it on Andy's Mellotron, but it was a little off. Okay. I mean, more off than Mellotrons can be. Right. <laughs> and so he had basically an electronic Mellotron, which was something that was a simulator, a Mellotron simulator, and we used that instead. Oh, man. Tech, some it new sounded tech better. It. Stayed in tune. Yeah. <laughs> well, are, are, you, are you planning on going out to support the album? We're going to do what we can. Uh, we didn't... It, it seems strange that uh, to say this, but although we spent 10 years making the record... Um, the run-up to releasing it, um, not a whole lot of uh, signing went into um, uh, gigs and stuff. Which so we're only okay. now starting to put that together. So okay, I don't know uh, how that's we're, we're gonna, we did two shows in the New York area. We're going to do the third one as a record release, and then we're going to do some shows up around the Northeast. I hope so. Oh, excellent, excellent. And, uh, but we didn't. We were we were not ahead of the curve enough. Uh, to put together a European tour because there you need almost a year to set things up, basically. Oh, really? Yeah, yeah. yeah. Man, I know I've heard. Nine months. Oh, really? I, I've heard the opposite is true uh, from some of the Canadian artists I've had. They said it's expensive and time-consuming to get a work visa to come down and tour in there. So I imagine 
the opposite is also true. Yeah, I don't know. Anyway, we'll prior tour for the next record. Okay. Well, where yeah. can people find you on online, social media? Where can they purchase the album or pre-order uh, it? Bar None Records, uh, selling it online. Um, hopefully, uh, you get it other places as well. And uh, it's going to be on, I guess it's going to be available. Well, we'll have our website, theshrams.com. That's, we'll have links to where you can purchase it. So it'll be findable. It'll be fine. All right. Awesome. Thank you so much. Now, now, do you guys do a lot of social media work? Do you guys uh, promote? Uh, well, I've got you know we have a Facebook page for the band, okay. and uh, that's under the Shrams. And we just, I guess, we just started some Twitter and Instagram stuff. So we'll start doing some more of that. Awesome, awesome. You know, on those spaces, those places. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. all the grams and the whatevers. Yes. David, thank Twitter you. Gram, whatever it's called. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Insta face. I don't know. David, thank you so much for spending your, your evening with me. I've, I know I've, I've taken up you know, almost an hour of your time, so man, I really do appreciate cool, yeah. it. Thanks. thanks, thanks for calling. Yeah. It's NFL draft season, and that means it's time to start thinking about fantasy football. FantasyPoints.com features industry-leading experts and prognosticators using proprietary hand-charted data to help you score more fantasy points. FantasyPoints.com is the place to go for whatever kind of fantasy football you play. Whether you play fantasy football, daily fantasy sports, or do a little bit of everything, Fantasy Points has the meticulously researched content to guide you to victory. And why wait for the fall? Fantasy Points also covers the new spring football league, the UFL. Join the guru, John Hansen, Scott Barrett, Joe Dolan, and other massive names in the fantasy football universe with an exclusive offer. Use code Pantheon for 15% off any Fantasy Points package, including the all-in package, with access to every article, tool, and data nugget that Fantasy Points has to offer. That's FantasyPoints.com and code Pantheon for 15% off at Fantasy Points. FantasyPoints.com, code Pantheon. Score more fantasy points.